those of you that are new around here, my name is Mac Richard, and I'm the pastor here at Lake Hills Church. And uh, for the last few weeks, as a church family, we have been immersed, if you'll pardon the pun, in this series, Something in the Water. And, and we've used the topic of water to get at who God is, what are his personality traits, what does he do, how do we interact with him. And today, we're going to start with... As we wrap up this series, I want to start with just a very simple thing because there's a lot that we've talked about over the last few weeks, but I think we've, we've left out maybe the most simple, the most elementary, fundamental part of water that there is. I want to ask you a question this morning. How many of you over the last two weeks, just remember you're in church, so be sure you tell the truth. How many of you over the last two weeks, now that summer has really started and school's out for a lot of people... How many of you, just in the last two weeks, have really, really broken a sweat? I mean like a real hard sweat. I don't mean like, you know, you got a little sticky walking to your car. But I mean like you sweat. Let me see a show of hands. That's awesome. We've got a fit church. I like that. Or maybe you're just a parent chasing your kids around for the summertime. But you know, when you get really, really middle of Texas, middle of summer hot, nothing satisfies like a cool drink of water. There's nothing that will satisfy that thirst like a cool drink of water. Now, some people will try Gatorade, like the electrolytes, and you are shoveling sugar into your mouth. I love Gatorade. It's awesome. Some people I know will try a, a Coke or a soft drink. I was recently fishing with my good friend David Hughes, He's pastor in Fort Lauderdale. David is a health food fanatic. I mean, he eats so healthy and so clean. But when we're fishing together on a boat, you know what David drinks all day long? Diet Dr. Pepper. Ooh, that is just, I mean, that's carcinogen in a can. I don't know what he's thinking about that, but he just, he just keeps drinking them all day. I've heard about some people, when they, when they get really, really hot, they like an adult beverage, maybe a, a cold beer. I always think about my time as a child, when I, not when I was drinking beer as a child, but I remember <laughs> going to Astros games at the Astrodome, and the guy would walk down with the big crate, he'd go, cold as foam in the dome. And, and a lot of people kind of, that's, that's what they really like when they get really, really hot. It's like, it reminds me, remember that, that great Robert Earl Keene line? I thought, man, I hadn't had a Schlitz beer since elementary school. But anyway... <laughs> <clears throat> nothing satisfies like a cool drink of water. Nothing is like that. When you get really, really hot, when you are really, really thirsty, we can try a lot of other things, but nothing satisfies like a cool drink of water. And to get at this from a spiritual perspective today, we're going to go back to the life of Jesus when he was traveling from town to town, walking as he did in a very arid region. For those of you who didn't have the opportunity to join us in Israel last year, um, you know, Israel and the Holy Land where Jesus' earthly ministry occurred is roughly the same latitude as Austin, Texas. Coincidence? I think not. But... <laughs> What we feel like in the summertime is what they feel like in Israel and in Galilee where Jesus' ministry happened. And so you understand when Jesus would walk from town to town, from Galilee to Judea and even into Samaria, it would be like you and I walking from 
bee cave to, to dripping springs to Lakeway, everywhere you went. And if you make that kind of a journey when the sun is up and beating down, you're going to get thirsty. And in John chapter 4, the Bible records just a conversation that Jesus had with a woman. And it just so happened that Jesus was strolling through the area known as Samaria. And he had a conversation at a well with a Samaritan woman. Now, before we get into the particulars of this conversation, I want to give you just a little background because the fact that Jesus, a Jew, was even in Samaria was completely scandalous in that day and age. This was an area where Jews intentionally avoided with everything that they had. They would literally walk around and travel around Samaria to get to where they were going because the Samaritans, in the eyes and the minds of the religious Jews of that day, were unclean. And so the fact that Jesus was even in Samaria gives you an amazing insight into the heart of who he really is and what he's really all about, that he is no respecter of persons. He, he doesn't play favorites in any way, shape, or form. He needed to go from point A to point B, and he went right through Samaria. Second of all, the fact that Jesus engaged with this woman in a conversation was in itself also very scandalous for that day and age. Men and women who were not married together, who were not married, did not interact together in that day and age. It wasn't like they would bump into each other at Chick-fil-A and go, oh, I'm sorry, did you get the nuggets? No, I got an Arnold Palmer. They, these kind of things just did not happen. And yet Jesus was then and continues to be all about shattering societal stereotypes and caste systems. He just cares about people. So no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what other people may assign you to what category, you can know that Jesus, by virtue of this exchange in John chapter 4, is not like that. That's not who he is and that's not how he operates. And in John chapter 4, he's sitting at this well and this woman approaches at the middle of the day. And so here we have just another little clue, historically speaking, that this was a woman who was an outcast from her own village. Because in that day and age, the women of the community would go to the well early in the morning and they would pick up the water that their households would need throughout the day. But this woman came, waited for those women to leave, and she came to the well most likely completely alone and totally by herself when she sees Jesus sitting there. And as she begins drawing her water, Jesus begins drawing her into a conversation. Jesus begins and he just says, would you mind drawing me something to drink and she's like <gasps> i mean in the original grade everybody do that. <gasps> that that's that's a great sound to make when you're really taken aback and she says sir why would you speak to me a samaritan jews and samaritans don't do this we don't interact together and jesus says i just, I just want something to drink and it began there with something so simple just just a cup of water, just, just something ladled out of the well that Jesus then pivoted into a conversation that altered the trajectory of this woman's life and her eternity. Look in John chapter 4 if you've got your Bibles with you or maybe you've got a phone that's got the Bible on it. John chapter 4, Jesus said this, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give 
will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. This living water that Jesus offers. Now, you and I look at that passage of Scripture, and we hear the words of Jesus, and he's talking about living water. And from a church perspective, or maybe if you were sitting in a seminary class, you'd be like, man, amen, that's right. But what does that really mean? I mean, when you walk out of church on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon, and you go back into the world, you go back into your families, it's really interesting to me how Sunday morning, especially for families, can be one of the most spiritually challenging times of the week. I don't think that's an accident, by the way. I remember as a kid growing up, you know, as as a pastor, my family, we usually came to church in separate cars because I was kind of getting ready to preach when our kids were very little and Julie would get them ready and bring them to church. But I remember as a kid, some of the most pitched battles my brothers and I ever fought were on Sunday morning on the way to church. Does anybody else have memories like that? You kind of go back in time and you think, oh man, I remember my dad, don't make me turn this car around. And, and you get kind of amped up and keyed up all the way to church and then you're supposed to walk in the door. Hello, yes, good morning, good to see you, brethren. Amen, oh yes, don't make me. You know, it's just that kind of dynamic that happens. That there's something where something gets lost in translation between Sunday and Monday, where we're something when we talk about the things of God and we talk about, in this case, living water, what does that really mean? What does that look like to, to drink this living water spiritually and never be thirsty again? And, and to get at this, I want to go back to something else that Jesus said. It's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and following, but it's this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached at the very beginning of his earthly ministry. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about what it means to be thirsty, what it means to have that thirst satisfied. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed, say blessed. Blessed Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who thirst for and hunger for righteousness. Now, righteousness is a good church word. Isn't it? Everybody say amen. 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 I, I'm going to need a little more feedback from you this morning, all right? Everybody say amen. amen. There it is. That's what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, Man, I grew up Presbyterian. We did not talk in church. That's all right. I get it. I totally understand that. But this, this notion of, of righteousness, what, what does that really mean? really mean let me give you just a working definition of righteousness so that you understand what it is when the bible talks about righteousness it just means this it is right living with god right living with god where the words of your mouth the thoughts of your mind the motives of your heart the actions of your hands and your feet and your life those things align with the purposes and the priorities of god Righteousness is just right living with God. So if you're thirsty for righteousness, if you're hungry to to live right with God, then you will be filled. 
If you're thirsty for that kind of, you, you know what it's like, man, it's just, I, I just want to be right with God. I want to, I want to know him. As opposed to what I have done too many times in my life, we look for the loopholes. How, how many times have, have you tried to look for a loophole to say, well, God, could I get away with that? Or how far is too far? Do I have to tithe on the gross or the net? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that was the laugh of recognition right there. Those kind of things as opposed to just saying, I just want to live right with God. If God says it, I'm going to, I'm going to trust him as my heavenly, perfect father. And I'm going to live right with him as opposed to looking for the course of least spiritual resistance. Jesus said, if you thirst for righteousness, for right living with God, you'll be satisfied. You'll be filled. You will drink this living water and it will never run out. It's the only thing that you can go after that will never run out and will always satisfy you. Y'all know, if you've been around here any time at all, that Julie and I and our family, we, we like us a good restaurant. And when I say a good restaurant, I mean one that's open. A good restaurant is one that prepares your meal, brings it to you, and then cleans up after you, and you go home satisfied. Can I tell you just, just one, little, one little pet peeve of mine in a restaurant is when they charge you for a refill on your drink. They might know that kind of, that kind of just, it's kind of irritating. I like those places where they refill your cup. Just, it's just a bottomless cup all the time. To me, a restaurant that charges for a refill, that's kind of like a Mexican restaurant that charges you for chips and hot sauce. I mean, that, that ought to just, because the sun came up in the east, you ought to get chips and hot sauce and free refills. I'm just keeping it real. Well, today... We're talking about free refills. We're talking about a spiritual free refill that never, ever runs dry. And there are two ways that we go about actually living this out. Because it's one thing to say, Jesus offers living water. You will never be thirsty again. And that's true. But I think for us to make sure that we don't lose something in translation between Sunday and the rest of the week, we look at how do we get at this? How do we experience this living water? First thing, also from the Sermon on the Mount, is Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. Jesus said, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But, everybody say, but. I was okay. But is a key, key word in the Bible. But it's a, it's a critical. Matter of fact, I'm working on a sermon series. I'm not sure when this is going to happen, but I'm going to do this sermon series, The Big Butts of the Bible. It's one T. One T. It's okay. Don't worry. The Big Butts of the Bible. But, this is a big but. You worried about all these things out there? But seek first. His kingdom and his righteousness, his right living, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first. You see, what Jesus is saying here is that in order to drink of this living water and to 
to be filled and satisfied, to have our spiritual thirst quenched, prioritize what you pursue. Prioritize what you pursue. And the fact of the matter is we're all pursuing something out there. I wonder today, how many of you are not married? Let me see a show of hands. If you're a single student or a single adult, you're not married. Awesome. Listen, there, there's such an... You all mean so much to us as a church family. The, the Bible says you have a special opportunity in the Christian life as a single person, not yet married maybe. But if, if you're not yet married, I've talked to so many people who think, man, if I could just find Mr. Right or Mr. Almost Right, then everything would be just fine. Or guys, they're like, man, if I could just find Ms. Right. Somebody has... The, you know, the morals of Mother Teresa, but she looks like Giselle. I, if it, that's all I'm asking for, God. And listen, that desire is good. That's a gift from God. But if you think that another human being is going to simplify and satisfy every yearning of your soul, <laughs> that's just funny. How many of you who are married, how many of you are married? Let me see a show of hands. Anybody who's married want to talk about how simple it is? It's great. I'm a fan of marriage. Been married for 24 years almost. Married over my head. But it ain't been simple. Julie's life I know hasn't been simple. And yet, a lot of times we think another person, or maybe you're married and you think, you know what, we're Things are not really going great in the marriage. We've been married for a while, but if we could just have a baby, if we could just have a kid, that that would simplify everything and and just make it awesome. (laughs) That's greatness. That is unreal. To think that kids are going to simplify anything is delusional. They're great. They're a blessing. We've got two of them ourselves. But I'm telling you, they don't simplify anything. And so the more layers you add to life, the more intentionally, the more deliberately you have to prioritize what you pursue. I think about guys who, who you know, put on the wife-winning jersey and they they go out and they're Mr. Hip, cool, calm, and collected. I got reservations, baby. It's a great place in town. You'll love it. Then all of a sudden they get married and they retire their wife-winning jersey. They have a ceremony. They hang it up in the rafters at home. There it is. Now I'm wearing a tank top with holes in it, drinking beer, watching football. But I remember that's what I wore to win my wife. Now, man, I'm working on the career, baby. I got to provide. That's what I'm going after. (laughs) And again, there's nothing wrong with that. I think God placed that in the heart and the soul of a man to be the provider. But you have to prioritize what you pursue. Well, man, I'm the provider. I'm the breadwinner. Awesome. What are you providing besides material goods? Are you present with your wife? Are you a force for good and equipping and love and trust in your kids' lives? See, we we got to prioritize what we pursue. If you're married, you've been called by God 
to be a husband if you're a dude. If you're a woman, you've been called by God to be a wife. So prioritize that, keeping in mind that you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then everything else takes care of itself. But you go after God with everything that you got. That's how that happens. So you prioritize what you pursue. We're going to chase this down a little bit further. Check this out in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 takes it to another level. It says, so you must, say must. must. You must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. Post-Jesus, things change. Once you step into that relationship with Christ, your life looks different. Now, I know some people would look at that, you know, God's obedient children and and kind of bristle a little bit. I'm not going to be a child. I'm a full-grown man. But you misunderstand the connotation. You misunderstand the context that God is and desires to be your and my perfect heavenly father to to have that relationship no matter how mature no matter how wise no matter how accomplished no matter how successful you are i've never met a single person who doesn't want their parents approval i've never heard of anybody like that i've heard of people who have had really jacked up relationships with their parents but if all things being equal and healthy There's nothing wrong with a parent saying, I'm proud of you, or you're doing a good job. Man, you've exceeded anything I've ever accomplished in life. There's something in us that yearns for that, that longs for that. That's what Peter is talking about here. To be God's obedient children means that we submit our lives to him. It means that we line ourselves up with what he says biblically. And so what I'd like to do is just real quickly, because a lot of times people are like, well, what does that really mean? Well, what Peter's saying here is check your vitals. First of all, prioritize what you pursue. But second of all, check your vital signs. I went to the dentist three weeks ago. The dentist, they checked all of my vitals, blood pressure, oxygenation in my blood, heart rate, all that stuff. Body fat of 3.8%. It was incredible. (laughs) And that was just for a cleaning. They weren't doing any surgery or any drilling. It was just just a polish. That's it. Check your vitals. I want to give you two vitals to check spiritually. If you're wondering where you are on the obedience meter on the right living with God thing, these are two things just to just keep an eye on. Number one, manage your money. Manage your money. How are you doing with the stuff that God has entrusted to you? Jesus said also in the Sermon on the Mount, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So if if you wonder about right living with God, just think about where you're spending your money. How do you manage what God's entrusted to you? Because where your treasure is, 
your heart follows. That, that's your priority. And, and that's, just, that's just a fact. I don't think anybody could intelligently argue that their priorities are reflected in their spending, in their, out, in their outlays. So how do you manage your money? Do you take care of what God's given you? Do you set some aside to celebrate him? Do you set some aside to save? Do you, do you spend money? Or, or are you always running out of month at the end of your money? Or are you living paycheck to paycheck, credit card payment to credit card payment? Because that's, that's a hard issue. And so if that's where things are, that's where things are. That, that's a vital sign. You know, if, if, if I was six foot one and weighed 490 pounds, you'd go, man, I, I don't think he's very healthy. That's, that's, just, that's, just, a, that's just a sign. Blood pressure, all those things go into testing where your health really is. As it is, six foot one. 184 pounds, twisted blue steel. You're asking yourself right now, he's got to be on steroids. I'm not. <laughs> but when you check your vitals, you see where things really are. You, you see what's really going on. So, so manage your money. And then number two, submit your sexuality. God created you as a sexual being. He created me as a sexual being. The first thing anybody ever asked about you is, what is it? Boy, girl, before we even wanted to know a name, we wanted to know, are you a boy or are you a girl? Thank God that he created us different. And so that's a part of who we are, to submit to God. Look at what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, flee, say flee. flee, run from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now when it says you were not your own, you were bought at a price. The price was the life of Jesus. When Jesus gave himself up for you, he gave himself up for all of you. But your sexuality is not all of who you are. There's more to you than that. But... It is at the core of who you are. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. In the beginning, God created. God created male and female. In the image of God, he created them male and female. Remember the one time that God said it's not good in all of creation. He looked down and Adam is there naming all of the animals. He's working by himself and he goes, this is not good. It's not good for man to be alone. Now, God did not just say that because the garden was a mess and it smelled bad. God said it's not good for man to be alone because there are parts of his character which are predominantly masculine 
that complement parts of his character that are predominantly feminine. That's common sense. There are parts of God's character that are beautiful, that are powerful in their own way, that are hidden and mysterious. Guess which one carries that one? There are other parts of God's character which are strength, which are more obvious, which are out there. Guess which one? And so when a male and a female come together in the covenant relationship of marriage and they share one another sexually, that is the most accurate representation of the character of God that there ever can be. Male and female, one man, one woman, one life. This is the picture, the design and the desire of God. So when we submit our sexuality to him, pretty much we know we've given him all of our lives. Now there are other parts besides sex and money, but it's interesting You know this from observation. I know this from my own life and from observation. When it comes to living right with God, the last things that actually get surrendered to God usually are our money and our sex. But if we will surrender those things to him and allow him to reveal his character to us and in us and through us, Jesus says we will never, ever be spiritually thirsty again there's nothing that you can do outside of what god prescribes biblically financially or sexually that will satisfy you materialism has never satisfied anybody now they've had some cool toys but it's never satisfied anybody sex outside of the covenant context of marriage one man one woman and one life has never satisfied long term it doesn't work because that's not how god created us And so when we bring those things under the authority and the love and the grace of God, we experience soul, thirst, quenching power and grace every single time. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I just want to ask you about being thirsty what does it look like where do you go to satisfy your soul thirst because Jesus promises and guaranteed with his life death burial and resurrection that he will fill you that he will satisfy that thirst. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship, then as a church, we want to invite you to do exactly that. You don't have to attend a series of classes or seminars. The Bible's very clear. It only requires everything giving every part of your life to the one who gave his life for you. Who promises to satisfy every need, every hunger, every thirst with living water. If that's you today, then I want to invite you just to pray right where you are, just silently. Just talk and just say, Jesus, I 
need you. In exchange for your life, I give you mine. I confess my sin and I claim your forgiveness to follow you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. And in this moment, if that was your prayer and you meant it with everything that you've got, I want you to know this is the greatest moment of your life, the most significant moment. And I want to invite you just to mark this moment to make sure that you know that it's real. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you would just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for just a moment. And as you do, I want to make sure that you know it's a once and for all moment. You never have to pray that prayer again, but now you get to begin living in that relationship, in that right living relationship with God. Chasing Him above everything else in life and allowing Him to fill in the details and to provide everything that you need and to satisfy every thirst of your heart and your life. And as a church family, we want to be that family of faith for you. We want to help you grow in this faith. Also, we want to learn from you. And so we want to invite you into this family. We honor this moment in your life and our tradition as a family, as you put your hands down is, we like to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. That's what it's all about. That's why we do what we do every day.